on episode number 47 of the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. We talk all things Room for All Coalition, which was formed in the Indiana Conference in 2019 as a group to advocate for the inclusion of LGBTQ plus persons in every aspect of the United Methodist Church. Our conversation today is with core members of the Room for All Coalition, Reverend Mary Dickin, Reverend Jerry Raritan, and Mr. Albert Hildago. As I was seeing, you know, part of our church want to change that inclusive, everyone under the tent umbrella, I felt like I needed to be a part of a solution, part of a a movement, if you will, to say, no, 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 don't forget about me. I'm also part of God's family, and I, I have a place. Welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. From the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Muller, where indeed we do look to strengthen the connection through conversation and commentary. You just heard the voice a moment ago of Alberto Hildago, a lay delegate to the jurisdictional conference from the Indiana Conference and a member of the Broadway United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, where he is also a part of an organization called the Room for All Coalition, which was created in 2019 in the Indiana Conference to be an advocacy group for all things regarding the inclusion of LGBTQ persons in the United Methodist Church. It was a response on his part personally to respond to the division that he saw in the church, which was heartbreaking to him, and he felt like he had to get involved and to do something. You're going to hear more about his story in a moment. This episode is all about the Room for All Coalition, And we also have with us as our guest today, Reverend Mary Dickin, who's an ordained deacon in the Indiana Conference. She serves at the Meridian Street United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, on the pastoral staff there. And one of the founders of the Room for All Coalition, Reverend Jerry Raritan, who's the lead pastor, the senior pastor at the First United Methodist Church in Noblesville, Indiana. You can find out more about the Room for All Coalition at their website, roomforallin.org, and at their Facebook page, facebook.com slash roomforallin. In our conversation today, we talked to Jerry and Mary and Alberto about their faith story, their movement towards the formation of the Room for All Coalition which has its uh, response to the the votes made in the 2019 General Conference regarding the issues that impact our church right now. I think most of us know what they are. They are regarding the ordination of LGBTQ plus persons as clergy and the ability of clergy to perform same-sex unions, but it's a much bigger issue than that theologically, biblically, social, socially, uh, church dynamics, all kinds of things are involved here. And in our conversation today, we talk about all these things and the faith story of Mary and Alberto and Jerry and how that led them to this place of helping form this group. Similar groups around the country have been formed, and there's groups on all sides of this issue, of course, and our role here is to discuss them and to bring them to light and check out uh, back episodes of the United Methodist People podcast at unitedmethodistpodcast.com. Right now, today is all about all things Room for All Coalition with our guest Jerry Raritan, Mary Dickin, and Alberto Hildago. Let's get into that conversation right now. We have three folks with us today. 
who are with uh, with the Room for All Coalition, Reverend Mary Dickin, is a pastor on the staff at the Meridian Street United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, where she is a pastor of mission and discipleship. We also have with us Mr. Uh, Reverend Jerry Raridan from the First United Methodist Church in Noblesville, Indiana, where he is the lead pastor and one of the founders of the Room for All Coalition, and Mr. Albert Hildago, who is a layperson who works in sales, the dad of four children. He is a member of the Indianapolis Broadway United Methodist Church and is a lay delegate to Jurisdictional Conference. And my name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. I'm lead pastor of the Otterbein United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. And we are all a part of the Room for All Coalition. Welcome to our podcast today, Mary, Jerry, and Albert. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. Awesome to, to have you, you with us. So Mary and Jerry and Albert and myself have been a part of this organization uh, for a while. And I just want to read off the founding doc, or the founding statement about what the Room for All Coalition is all about, which comes directly uh, from the, web, the website, which is at roomforallin.org. And it says the Indiana Room for All Coalition is formed in February 2019 to oppose the harm created by the passage of the traditional plan at the 2019 General Conference of the United Methodist Church in St. Louis. We believe the traditional plan and the organizations behind it bring harm to persons who identify as LGBTQ plus and their allies. The passage of the traditional plan has resulted in loss of faithful members, will not be a part of the church that, ex- that excludes and it negatively impacts the witness of the United Methodist Church to a world that has grown skeptical of organized religion. I just want to share that with you as a foundational document for our conversation here, uh, here today. But people come to an organization like this, and there are similar ones throughout the country, out of their own faith journey, their own faith, uh, faith uh, pathway. And so I just want to ask you, Albert, first of all, if you don't mind, can you share with us and with our, our audience here a little bit of what brought you to Jesus Christ in the first place and the pathway that may have led you to be a part of an organization like the Room for All Coalition? Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity, Brad. Um, so I grew up Roman Catholic. Um, I'm the only son of Cuban parents. And, um, you know, a lot of my upbringing was about shoulds um, as an only son, as a Roman Catholic. And I have to acknowledge that my faith wasn't very different than that. It was it was really quite rule oriented or dogma oriented. Um, and I have to admit that when I was a senior in high school, I went on a retreat and there was a portion of time that was silent. And during that retreat time period, I was in a hallway of this uh, church building and there was a poster that said, um, uh, I have come that you may have life to its fullest, uh, John 10, verse 10. And that just struck me as very powerful. Um, I then, <laughs> I was really struggling with, you know, is Jesus calling me to do anything more than, than you know, a senior in high school would do? Uh, and I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I, I had a couple philosophies about it that, you know, God is greater than anything that we, we humans can, can imagine. Uh, but anyway, I went and talked to this priest who um, knew exactly what was going on in my heart. And, you know, before I even spoke anything, he goes, you are struggling as to whether or not you should say yes to God and what that all might mean. So um, it, it really was uh, dumbfounding to me. So I did get involved quite a bit in my spiritual growth. Um, again, still living a kind of a life of shoulds. And, and I did marry. Um, I had four kids and um, really struggled when I uh, came to the fuller awareness of my of who I am as a person. And that is a gay man. Um, And it was, uh, you know, many years later that I uh, fell in love and became partnered with um, a gentleman that I'm in relationship with for uh, almost 13 years. He's the one that brought me to Broadway United Methodist Church, as a matter of fact. Um, so the four kids and, and I joined him at Broadway. And one of the things was that um, it was all about relationship. It was about seeking, welcoming, and valuing all people. 
So um, as I learned more about what it is to be a Methodist, the Wesleyan quadrilateral made so much sense to me, you know, that God reveals himself, um, you know, certainly in, in scripture, in tradition, in revelation, but also in, in rational thought with reason. Um, so I really found my home uh, spiritually within the United Methodist Church. Um, so what led me to Room for All Coalition is the fact that as I was seeing, you know, part of our church um, want to change that inclusive, um, everyone under the tent umbrella, um, I felt like I needed to be a part of a solution, part of a, a movement, if you will, to say, no, 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 don't forget about me. I'm also part of God's um, family, and I, I have a place. Well, thank you for sharing that, Albert, and that's a, that's a, great, a great witness there. Mary, I want to speak with you for a minute and get your response to your, your pathway. What brought you to a relationship with Christ in the first place, and then your pathway, which led you to be a part of the Room for All Coalition, the things you're involved with? Thanks, Brad. I, I love that you're um, starting with this question because I think our stories are really powerful and, um, and you know, they really shape who we are and what we do today. So for me, I, I grew up in the United Methodist Church. Um, I come from a long line of Methodists. Um, I come from a multi-generational United Methodist clergy family. And um, so I, I was always in the church as a child and as a youth, and specifically in the United Methodist Church. And I can think about sort of um, key moments during that time that um, you could call significant moments of, um, of commitment in my faith journey. Uh, those often took place at summer camp. Um, I'm a big proponent of, of, um, of the experience of camping, of church camp, um, also through youth conferences and, and um, those kind of experiences. But, you know, it was when I went away from home and I went to college uh, like many, that was the time when um, all of these beliefs and understandings, you know, I went through my own wrestlings and had to start making them my own. And, um, you know, college is an interesting time in general because, uh, you know, even outside of faith, there's so much kind of awakening that happens uh, as you're discovering um, who you are and learning more about the world around you. And so for me, um, you know, I, I really had my eyes opened in a lot of ways um, early on in my college experience just to um, the, the great promise of the world as well as kind of the great hurts of the world. And I had this deep conviction that I wanted to change the world. And, um, and you know, and I, I found myself really trying to think about, so how am I, how am I called to do that? Um, and at that time, when I was in undergrad, um, to be honest, I really wasn't that interested in church. Um, and it wasn't that I was like, I didn't have an experience of being suddenly opposed to church or being um, anti-Christianity or, you know, turning away from Christ in any way. It was truly just that there were more interesting things to do on the weekend than go to church. Um, but Pretty early in that undergrad experience, I kind of stumbled into a job at a church um, as a church musician, and it was a United Methodist Church. It was a tiny little United Methodist Church outside of Cincinnati, um, and you know, it, it. I credit that church with being the thing that kept me connected to the United Methodist Church during those years in my life, um, because they paid me to show up every Sunday morning, and. Um, and so as I'm going through this period of kind of awakening and wrestling and, and wanting to change the world, I'm looking around and I had this kind of epiphany where I realized that the greatest hope for the world that I saw was actually in Jesus Christ and in the gospel. Um, and so that, I think, as I look back on my faith journey, that to me was really a turning point to realize that it was um, in this United Methodist Church, in the church with a capital C that I grew up in, that um, uh, that I, I really felt this tug about how to um, how to do this uh, transforming work, right, that, that we're called to, and, and all the hope of the world to be found there. And I will also say, you know, in kind of reflecting on that, um, I give so much credit to that little church in Cincinnati, because they, you know, they're such a great example of kind of just taking somebody where they are at, making room for them in their church, because they took me 
And they didn't ask more of me than I could give at that time, but they welcomed me with open arms. They made space for me. And I, I really believe if it wasn't for that, I'm not sure that I would be um, connected to the United Methodist Church today. So, you know, so I had that, um, that, that was sort of the start of my um, kind of owning faith as an adult and, um, and really feeling compelled to uh, live out this faith within the United Methodist Church. And it was, it was a long journey after that that kind of led me to um, ordain ministry. It wasn't a, a, a straight path as it is true for, for many clergy. Um, but I, you know, I think I heard in your question, then what led you to the Room for All Coalition and to being involved in this work? Yes. Um, you know, and that's, that would be a long story, but what I'll, I'll try to give a short version of it, which is, um, so I, I grew up in a family, um, that in many ways was, um, invested in this conflict in the church. Um, my father was actively involved in the confessing movement and the good news movement, um, in the sort of conservative caucus groups, not only in our own um, connection here in Indiana, but even nationally. And at the same time, uh, I have one sibling, I have an older sister, and she is LGBTQ. And she's now married to a woman. Um, they have a, a beautiful baby girl that was just born uh, just a few weeks ago. And um, so I grew up in a house that particularly going into my teenage years and again, those early years of college, there was a lot of um, tension and conflict. Um, and I had to struggle with that and make sense of that. And, um, and to be honest, the, the church setting that I grew up in, in the United Methodist Church, it was wonderful and affirming and life-giving for me, um, but it also, um, it was not exactly affirming and life-giving, I would say, of, of LGBTQ persons. And, um, and that certainly was my own sister's experience. Um, and then, you know, and then I go to college and I'm a, I'm a music student in college. And if you've ever spent time around the arts, there's a great diversity of people in the arts. It's one of the beautiful things about the arts. So my world became much more diverse than it ever was before. And so I am having to wrestle with all of these assumptions I've made as a young person, all of these things that I've been taught. Um, and it doesn't add up, right? Because I know that God's love is more expansive um, than, than some of these uh, ideas that, that have been suggested to me over the years. Um, and, and really just grew convicted that, um, that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an expansive and inclusive gospel. And it was, again, I would say it was the United Methodist Church that taught me that even if it didn't um, get expressed perhaps in some of the ways that other United Methodists were expressing that. Um, so as I grew more and more committed to the United Methodist Church, um, I also just grew increasingly convicted that, um, that our church needs to be a place that proclaims that good news. And, um, you know, so the Room for All Coalition, when it um, formed in 2019, um, I, it seemed to me the, um, the place to, to put some of my energy in the church, because um, this, is the, this is the church that God is calling us to be. And, uh, you know, I, I, I generally think, you know, you can, we can sit around all day and see what's wrong with the church or other institutions. But at some point, we also have to work to change it. Yeah. So Very there's good. my well, short version. <laughs> yeah. Well, well dig a little deeper into that and how that has implications for our conversation further. But certainly your assumptions were challenged. And a part of what we're talking about here is assumptions have been made about all kinds of things and we have to find a new pathway forward. And so Jerry, I want to ask you, I'll take a little different track with you since in previous podcasts, we've shared your faith story, but let's talk about maybe a foundational scripture for you or something out of your expression of your faith, which led you to help be a founding member of the Room for All Coalition, then give us a little background on how that happened. Okay. Um, I think a particular scripture doesn't jump out at me. Um, my faith story was coming from a family that had a schizophrenic mother. I was surrounded by Plainfield United Methodist Church, who 
loved our family in spite of that challenge. <clears throat> uh, so I've always had a heart for the marginalized. So I guess every scripture where Jesus reaches out and calls us to love the least uh, certainly speaks to me. And uh, so that translated for me in the beginning of the work of what became Room for All um, came out of the 2018 annual conference session in Indianapolis at the convention center. And I just noticed that we were having a debate about a different topic, actually, but I saw once again the forces of one wing of our church versus the other. And I noticed that people that would tend to call themselves centrist and progressives just were not very organized. And it seemed like so many things were decided because the other side was much more organized than us. And I came home literally in tears. I told my wife, I said, I feel like God has just grabbed a hold of me and said, Jerry, you got to do something. The challenge is I don't know what to do, but I know I've got to do something. So I called a colleague, Rob Fuquay at St. Luke's United Methodist Church. And I said, here's God tugging my heart. I'm not sure where to begin. How should we start? And so we decided to put word out. We had a gathering at St. Luke's inviting whom we thought was more um, progressive and centrist leaning clergy and invite them to come and have a conversation about what we could do that might have an impact, especially on the discussion of the human sexuality issue that was going to happen at the general conference in 2019. So quickly that year, um, we were called United Methodist Indiana at that time. And our focus was doing what we could to help pass the one church plan. So we held individual conversations with most of our Indiana delegates that year, uh, just friendly conversations, not trying to tell them what they should do, but just try to explore uh, the possibilities. And if they cared to ask them, we'd share why we thought one church was the chance to hold our church together. And then of course, 2019 happened in St. Louis. I was there as many others, and my heart sunk when the traditional plan passed. Um, it was a sad day, and at that moment, I literally felt like the Nine Methodist Church, as we know it, died at that moment. And I think what has happened since has proven that. The good news in all that was that was such a powerful step that people that felt the wrongness of that, the, it, it just energized us. So immediately, our steering team that was made up about seven or eight people most of the time, boomed to 25. Um, we had many clergy sign on to letters that we put in newspapers sharing our pain and hurt at the harm that's done by the General Conference of 2019. And quickly we began organizing and had many people reach out wanting to know what we can do. And so we eventually held a couple rallies, one at Noblesville first in May of 2019, another one later in June preceding the annual conference session. And we had uh, 500 to 400 show up at both of those rallies, which showed how much interest there was in wanting to have a more inclusive church. And so we've been kind of on the run since that time. So that shows how we got, got started. Well, that's, uh, thanks for giving us that background there, Jerry. And just wanted, I just want to thank uh, both uh, Albert and Mary for your witness of faith and and for what you're, what you're doing in, in the church and through the Room for All Coalition. And Mary mentioned about assumptions, uh, being challenged. And I think all of our assumptions were challenged and the whole thinking, at least I think I'll speak for myself about the United Methodist Church basically being a big tent where everyone could find a place to be and we're at a different place now. But I would like for us to speak though for a minute about what is coming out of that about the, uh, uh, about the power of inclusion and about the pain of exclusion uh, in regards to uh, what God uh, has given us some structures to do in the church. And so I'll just uh, maybe ask Albert to speak to that, maybe Mary as well, inclusion and exclusion. Do you have any thoughts on that, uh, Albert? I, I do. Um, I've often uh, thought that, well, I said it earlier, um, God, God, if we believe God is, you know, all powerful, et cetera, you know, a supreme being, which, you know, we do in the church, then how can we as humans, people decide 
what God's intentions are, right? Um, how can we as humans decide who's in, who's out? This is not a country club. You know, this is a people of God who come together to celebrate worship together to see how God has made God's self manifest in others. Um, there's so much abundance here. And I think fear of the different drives a lot of separation. Mm. So, um, and then that different, um, that fear, I should say, is what creates this really bizarre behavior uh, where we're working actively to separate. And it's just, you know, I, I, I think God just cries. Yeah. Mary, I just wanted to reflect with you in a minute about some of the things Albert is saying there, what we've talked about here about inclusion, exclusion. But I'm thinking about how the response to Albert from other folks might be is that we may uh, feel differently than you, but we love everybody. You know, we the Bible's about love, but the biblical uh, the biblical accounts regarding LGBTQ issues are clear and they're or adamant and so on. And therefore we have to take this pathway to defend the scriptural, uh, the scriptural uh, emphasis here. Uh, how do we come to terms with that? Especially if we're dealing with people who have this track, Mary, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really great question because, you know, I think um, one of the things I would say is I, that I think most United Methodist churches would say that they love and welcome all people. Um, I, you know, I actually don't know any United Methodist church that would say differently than that. Um, but but don't, don't you know, every United Methodist church is the friendliest church in town. I know. What, so. <laughs> right? yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, but, but, you know, it comes down to this question of, um, you know, is it, is it a conditional love that you um, love somebody, um, but expect them um, to change who God created them to be? Right. I, I don't want to say um, uh, just expect them to change because I think we're all called to change. Right. That's the, the discipleship path. That's the, the journey of transformation. But um, but really, when you talk about uh, being an inclusive church, it means celebrating people in the fullness of who they are and really recognizing the very image of God that is present in them. Um, and that image of God is expressed in. Um, it's, it's in our fullness, right? It's not, um, it's not just in one aspect of us and our sexual orientation and our gender and, um, our race and our, um, uh, our abilities that we have, our gifts, our talents, all of that is that, um, that full expression of the image of God. And, um, and so when we think about this idea of being truly inclusive and welcoming and loving as the church, it means going beyond simply saying you're welcome here with all these asterisks beside it, but to say you're welcome here and we celebrate you, we affirm you, and we welcome you as this bearer of the image of God. You know, I had um, somebody once said to me, there is a part of God I cannot know if I only interact with people like me. There is a part of God I cannot know if I only interact with people like me. And that that sentence has struck me so much over the years, and I repeat it all the time because there's so much truth in it. You know, if we want to see Christ, if we want to know who God is, we have to actually embrace and celebrate and welcome and be in relationship with people who are different from us. And that um, absolutely includes LGBTQ people um, in our church, and, and what a gift uh, the, the presence of that diversity is if we would, um, if we would only just be open to it. And yeah. I'm also thinking right now, you know, Brad, about the, um, just because it's one of our, our lectionary te texts um, in this time period that we're in, that story of um, the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Yes. And when he says um, to Philip, what is to prevent me from being baptized? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, what a great, question and what a great yes. challenge to the church you know um yeah so the the question is posed to us you know what keeps us from being inclusive and embracing others and yes. to celebrating that what keeps us from that and and perhaps it's some of our own internal nonsense that we have to deal with in our own psyche and our own spiritual lives our own theologies and how that's manifested in local churches and in conferences and in general conferences and all the stuff we're talking about here. And, 
And this, this conversation we're having and other organizations like uh, Room for All Coalition have emerged throughout the whole country and the whole world around the same time and kind of response to this. So there is something happening and there is a movement uh, that is happening. But I think it's important that we not be caught in our own bubbles as well and be good listeners and good reflectors of what's going on in, out in the out of the world, especially our local churches. And I know recently, Room for All has had some uh, learnings and some listening sessions, some visioning sessions, connecting with others. And Jerry, you want to speak to that or maybe someone speak to that? What are we learning out of these visioning and listening sessions around the around Indiana and other places? Well, I'll let Mary speak more on that because uh, she was more instrumental in each of those. Uh, but I did participate in one of those I think the coolest quote that came out of the session that I was in was somebody mentioned that the United Methodist Church is a place to work out who you are. And I, I just love that quote because uh, we're trying to capture a sense of what do we want the United Methodist Church to be once there is some kind of division. And since right now we're church hierarchy seems to still be focused on trying to be the hierarchy for all because this what hasn't happened. Somebody's got to move in and help cast that vision to help share the excitement of what we can be. Um, because we all know that the United Methodist Church has some changing to do. And now, especially with COVID, there are even more challenges. Uh, it's going to take a different kind of church to, to reach new generations. So, we hope with these sessions at the beginning of starting that visioning process to just try to imagine what kind of church can we become? But I really love that quote. That Methodist church is a place to work out who you are. Yeah, I love that as well. And working through the chaos, through working through the pain and see where we, where we emerge. So Mary, you, uh, uh, Jerry mentioned that you were part of these listening or visioning sessions. So what can you add to this? Yeah, well, first of all, I would echo Jerry, like that was such a delightful moment in the conversations and that was said, I just, I mean, it was so true, but I just to have somebody name that out loud, you're like, yes, that's who we are and should be. Um, you know, these, these visioning sessions that we did, um, first of all, I was just delighted by the, the folks who turned out for him. You know, we had a, just a wonderful turnout of um, both lay and clergy across our conference that were showing up on Zoom in a season when we are all like really Zoomed out. Um, but they showed up and wanted to talk with each other. Um, and what I heard consistently was just the um, the longing that folks have for a church that is... Um, that has all the, the goodness of our connection and all the wonderful ways that we have um, been in mission and ministry together um, over since the founding of, of our Methodist church. Right. And, um, and that they, they want, they long for, um, for that to be what drives us as a church and not simply um, all of our conflict about um, inclusion and exclusion, as you were saying before. And at the same time, you know, it was also very clear to me, it wasn't a sense of like, let's just move past it and set that aside at all, you know, because, because many of these folks were talking about their own experiences of, um, you know, of experience in harmful exclusion um, in our church connection, right? Um, so the the vision that I kept hearing was, you know, can we be a church where we are again celebrating whole people for in 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 the beautiful diversity that they are and are united in mission and ministry in our communities in our state and around the world mm -hmm. and you know i uh, several of the sessions people um, made reference in different ways but it would come up and they would say you know we're supposed to be about good news <laughs> but i'm not sure <laughs> That we're well, really doing a good job of that these days. <laughs> you can think you're uh, sharing good news, but uh, what people hear, actually hear, may be something different, quite. So, That's yeah. right. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if I can interrupt here. Yes, Mary, I wanted um, to. The, one of the things that I was left with during, um, I think I participated in, in all of the uh, visioning sessions as well. But one of the things that I was left with is just this desire to, to move beyond this quote unquote topic 
of inclusion so that we can focus our energies as a church on the work in the world. You know, um, there's so much else that we as a people um, can focus on. There's, you know, income inequality and there's opportunity inequalities. There's, you know, seeing the abundance of God in one another that we're not able to do right now because we're just stuck in this, you know, bickering, if you will, of, of who we are as church. And, um, you know, I, again, I'm not, I'm not a lifelong Methodist, but I know that the, the Methodist church over its history has had a tremendous influence, um, you know, regionally, uh, uh, across the nation and, is, and the globe, just the impact that we all do. And I would love for us as a church to move into a space, and I heard this on the visioning, into a space where we're making, we're making good happen. Yes. Um, sharing that good news. Making good happen. I love that uh, there and Albert. And, uh, you know, we actually do have a stated uh, mission statement of the whole United Methodist Church of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And sometimes it seems hard to do that when we get stuck on our own, you know, in some ways, in some ways, a narrow uh, agenda here. But Albert, I want to go back to you for just a, a moment here. You are a, a, a delegate uh, from Indiana to the jurisdictional conference, and therefore you are in some of the conversations regarding uh, general conferences uh, and some of the delegate to conversations that are going on there. What are we're going to talk a little bit here about how some of the details of how things are getting getting done or not getting done. But what are some of the things you are hearing uh, from the public or from your fellow delegates? Uh, what are some of the things that you're hearing that are really causing you maybe, you know, some discomfort and maybe some of the things are giving you some encouragement? Um, th- thank you again for the question. You know, I, I, um, I put my, uh, my name forward as a willingness to serve uh, because I want to be part of the conversation because I realize and recognize that a lot of, a lot of people may not know a gay individual or an LGBTQ plus individual. And um, if, if I can, you know, be part of that face to someone else, then maybe it makes it less scary. Right. Um, So I went into becoming a delegate thinking that we as a church could reconcile and stay together. Um, And and unfortunately, Brad, what I, what I, what I found is that there's a whole group within the church that has already made a decision. And it's, you know, the, the more conservative, uh, I'll use the word faction, of our church has already made a decision that they're going to leave. They've set up their own branding. They've set up their own name. Um, that there's a, a movement that the train has already left the station. And unfortunately, at, at some point, what remains needs to move on. And unfor- again, unfortunately, the fact that we have not had a general conference does allow for more dialogue. But if not everyone is coming to the table to have, you know, an open dialogue, uh, it prolongs some pain. So, you know, what I'm hearing from, from other lay members, whenever there's a church announcement of, you know, leaving the church, disassociating with the church, there's a lot of questions as to why, what's going on, uh, why aren't we moving forward? And it's, there's no easy answer here because of, of, of COVID, um, we did have our bishops, uh, our bishop recently, Bishop Trimble, join us recently um, at one of our delegation meetings. It was great to have him on the call. Um, there was a lot of discussion about where we are, why we're in the in the status that we are. Um, we had a member of the delegation encourage us to not make quick decisions. That our tradition is about having conversations and dialogue. That's why we have in person annual. Um, general conferences. Um, but it does make it somewhat discouraging that we can't move on with the goodness. Yes. So. Yes. Well, we're, we're having to face reality at just in uh, good to great thinking. You have to face the brutal facts and still yeah. move, move forward in faith. Yeah. And so uh, Jerry, I want to come back to you. I just, let's get a little deeper into all this kind of stuff here. What's I just kind of interested in your take, Jerry. You're intimately involved with uh, folks in this group, but others throughout 
Indiana and other places as well. What in the world is going on with general conference and with decisions making? What are the implications of a delay? I just got, I know none of us have exact answers. But what's your take on how things are shaking out in the next year or so here, and especially the issues we're, we're dealing with here t- today? Well, we got a major issue when the only true body that speaks for the United Methodist Church is the general conference. And you can't pull that conference together. How do you have anybody truly have the authority there? So from what I understand, just what I hear here and there, and I just think it's a lot of speculation. We know it's going to be very difficult to have an in-person general conference, probably at least till fall of 2022. The question's going to be how patient are people willing to be on both sides of this? Um, we have churches who feel their mission is impacted because they can't, uh, they, that we're continuing to do harm as a denomination to people that are LGBTQ. And then I know there are people on the other side that they're ready to move on. Um, so there is a certain amount of energy happening on the room for all side of things that's encouraging people to take a look at the Christmas covenant that provides a way for there to be regionalization of the different bodies uh, so that, for example, of Africa, if people want to continue to be part of the United Methodist Church, they could do so, but they'd have the freedom to establish their own discipline, and therefore they can make their rules that are in custom with what they are uh, comfortable with. Um, There could be some energy with that. Um, The other thing could happen is I see some energy being suggested, let's find a way to um, create the trust laws in a way that congregations could exit to another denomination that's under the auspices of West Path, and they could speed that along and then not have to have these conference votes conference-wide. So I don't know if anybody's got a crystal ball yet what's going to happen. So that's what I know. That's 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 part of the issue is that, you know, this – the part of the issue is no one has a crystal ball of what's going to happen, and yet it keeps dragging on and on. And many, it, it, the huge factor being the COVID crisis, which means we haven't had decisions, so people are getting antsy and anxious. And the, the uh, local church pastors and leaders are just wanting some direction, and a lot of it's not happening. And that's where I believe Eve Room for All is at least giving at least one voice here uh, what uh, some options are. But uh, I would just, I just think we're a time where we're in this uh, really anxious time and, and people would love to have some decisions made one way or another. And it seems to me that there's, we're going to lose some from the right and some from the left is to use that type of language. And we're going to left with a confused uh, middle here and we'll see how it all shakes out, but it doesn't uh, right now. It doesn't feel, uh, feel. uh, One thing I can say for sure is that room for all in Indiana, our steering team is going to begin discussing what does it mean to live into the church that we want to become and not wait until fall of 2022, but to begin doing that now. And so we may invite some congregations who are pretty united on where they want to go with this to begin living that out. And then we'll see what the repercussions are. Yeah. And then there's implications in terms of, yes, if, if it, yeah, as you mentioned, we don't know how to shake up, but an annual conference itself may be able to opt out and, local churches, certain clergy, and aligning clergy and appointments, all kinds of things are factors here. So Mary, it like you had something you wanted to share there. Yeah, I, I'm really glad Jerry said um, that at the end of that, about this idea of the um, of us living into the, the church that we're called to be, because, you know, I think so often in this conversation, we take this really kind of passive posture, that we are, um, that somehow we are just, uh, there's nothing we can do. We're just, you know, um, subject to whatever the whims of general conference are. And we just have to kind of wait for that to get sorted out and all that. And I just, I don't think that's what we're called to do. I think we are called to faithfulness. And, and that faithfulness um, means living into the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is absolutely an inclusive gospel. Um, and And even just, you know, the sort of, notion that we have, well, it's going to be the next general conference that, you know, that finally resolves all of our issues. You know, we're 50 years into this conflict. We are 50 years into this 
in the United Methodist Church. And I pray that we can um, move forward and that our legislative processes make room for that. I firmly believe that the Holy Spirit can and does work in many ways, including through our legislative processes. And I believe that we are called to, uh, to reclaim some agency and to, um, to live into the church that God is calling us to be um, in the here and now, and not simply take a passive pa- posture of saying, well, we just you know, um, you know, we're just at the mercy of, of these delays and, um, and, and waiting for action or inaction and all of that. So um, that's, that would just be my one response to the, the conversation about general conferences that um, it is not the be all end all of what it means to move forward as the, as the United Methodist Church. Well, the reality is, you know, there's a lot of people who really don't really know or care a whole lot what general conference says, <laughs> you know, they are, impacted by what happens at the local church, by their local church pastor, by their brother, sister, child, uh, who were influenced or impacted by uh, decisions made, particularly those around LGBTQ uh, plus issues. I'll just speak for myself for a minute. Uh, You know, I have three adult children and one of my uh, children is, is gay and and my other two children are supportive uh, of him. And the result is all three of them are not involved with United Methodist Church or any church. And a lot of part because they are don't feel that welcome spirit there. And so that's a personal thing that I have to deal with. But I'm, what I want to bring this back to all three of you about is let's get personal here for a minute. We've talked about kind of organizationally about your own story. What about in our churches? What kind of stories are you seeing about how people have been impacted, uh, good or bad, by decisions being made in the church uh, regarding uh, these issues? So, uh, Albert, how about you? Would you like to speak to that one? Personal uh, experiences of people you're aware of? Um, So I mentioned my my partner, uh, Dan, and I have been together for 13 years. Um, We had planned on celebrating... um, a marriage ceremony in our church. And um, I'm sure that we have some very close pastor friends who would have married us, who would have presided at the, at the marriage uh, ceremony in, in our chapel, for example. However, given the kind of punitive nature of, you know, what was decided at, at special conference, um, special annual conference in 2019, we didn't want to put them at jeopardy. So as a result, we did not get married um, in the church and and we're not married currently. Um, I know that there are a lot of stories like that. Uh, People who want to, you know, be surrounded by their church community, be celebrated um, and, and they're holding off or they're saying, you know what? maybe it's time to go check out a different church. Um, I will say that this is, I think, especially true for the young, you know, the next two generations having four, four kids stage uh, 30 to 22. Um, I would say they're, they're pretty deep, spiritual, faithful people. They feel a, a real strong calling to Broadway because of its inclusivity, but they find that the hypocrisy in many churches drives them not to be part of a church community. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of places. So, um, you know, let's, let's make sure the church is real and relevant, uh, especially to our future generations. Yes. Thank you for that. Mayor, I guess I'll pose the, I will pose the same question to you. Personal experiences you've had about decisions made that have impacted uh, people, you know, or in your churches or something about that, that are impacted by this. Yeah. So um, first of all, I would say I have yet to serve a church where there aren't those personal stories, right? Um, I think uh, every um, every congregation I've served, whether it is in the city or in the country or in the suburbs, um, it doesn't matter. Those stories are there. Um, but as, uh, as Albert was talking about, um, particularly young people, I, this vision was coming to mind. It was an experience I had several years ago. Um, I was, uh, at the, the church I was at, I was charged with um, uh, responsibility for a youth choir. 
uh, and it was uh, it was a it was a great joyful thing. Also, like not my gift because I'm not a, a youth ministry person, um, but I, but I did love these young people, and we would go on tour every summer. And we were um, so the, I was on like a charter bus with you know it was like thirty or forty teenagers um, on this long road trip to um, on this tour that we're on. And I'm sitting in the front of the bus and one of the youth, um, she was a high school junior. She walks up the aisle. Everybody's like conked out on the bus, but she walks up and she sits next to me and, um, and she just starts chatting with me. And so we're just talking and, um, and, and then pretty soon it was clear that she wanted to have a serious conversation. And she started telling me that she thought she was called to ministry um, to ministry as a, as a clergy person, uh, which really warmed my heart because this was one of those youth that like, was just so gifted and so like, so deep spiritually, like mature beyond her age. Um, you know, so many gifts and graces, just like a real treasure, um, uh, not only in, in the context I was serving, but to the church as a whole. And so she's telling me she's feeling this call to ministry and, you know, and it's just such a joyful thing. And then she says to me, she says, but will there ever be people like me serving as clergy in the United Methodist Church? And she said that because she um, had come out a few years ago. And um, it was a heartbreaking moment because suddenly I was um, confronted with this very earnest teenager who was hearing and responding to a call from God and then asking me, can she live out that call in the church that she grew up in, that nurtured her, that made her the person that she is today? And, um, and we had a really honest conversation. You know, one of the things I told her, I said, um, I said, there have been LGBTQ persons in the Methodist church since the very beginning. Like, let's be clear about that. And there are LGBTQ persons serving as clergy in the United Methodist Church today. So it is not a question of will there be a day when that can happen. It has happened. But then we also had to have the honest conversation about what does our book of discipline say? And if she chooses to pursue this in the United Methodist Church as it currently stands, what are the obstacles that she might come across? What is the very real harm that she might experience? And to me that, you know, it's heartbreaking on so many levels, you know, first of all, uh, you know, you want in that moment just to be able to celebrate a young person um, responding to a call from God. And yet I had to turn into that conversation and, you know, and then I just think um, kind of the bigger picture of like, what do we miss out on if we don't make room for someone like that? Leads for some awkward and uncomfortable conversations that should be more affirming than kind of uh, uh, putting a, you know, a constraint on the conversation. And that's a little bit painful. Uh, Jerry, how about you? I just want to ask you if you've had uh, personal experiences that are impacted by some of the decisions we're talking about here. Yeah, we had one just before COVID. It was kind of interesting. I never got to meet this person, but we had someone come look at our church, wanted a location for their wedding. Uh, they were new to the community, didn't, they weren't members of our church, had to attend our church yet, but our um, administrative assistant showed her around, had a good conversation, uh, was very impressed with her, and um, and then she, she got all the information and, and was ready to book, and she later, something about that conversation made her think, I just wonder as she talked, is she talking about a same-sex wedding? And so she called her back and said, oh, by the way, we're still working this out with our denomination. Uh, and so at this point, if this is a same-sex wedding, we won't be able to host it. And the young woman was very upset, apparently, at that. And um, so when I got back in the office, of course, I didn't see any of this conversation, my Mystery assistant, who is really a traditional leaning person when it comes to the view of marriage, was so upset because she realized how much harm this did to this young woman who she was so impressed with. So I got her number and tried calling because I was upset that I didn't get to have a conversation and talk about things and share at least how I feel about this issue. And um, 
And I was so upset that I even offered for him to come talk. I, I've talked to a judge in our congregation, so I've got arrangements made that if this happens like this, that he could actually perform the actual uh, statement of marriage and sign the license, but I would uh, share in the experience. And um, and I, I was so upset I even called and offered I'd, I would pay for their venue to make it possible for them to have it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, and they never, and they never call back. And wow. and what pains me is to think this person who this may have been their first experience with the Christian Church, yes. they never ever come back again. Yes, well, thank you all three, actually all four of us for sharing some of those painful stories, and because there's a lot of pain out of this as we you know deal with this reality. But I, I really like to close our conversation if we can with the with the word of hope. You know, we are Easter people. We're people of the resurrection, right? So we got to think about, you know, uh, life over death and all of this, what it means to be a Christian. So I just really want to bring our conversation around about out of this pain, out of this situation, out of this chaos, what do you see as uh, as signs of hope moving forward? Albert? Signs of hope are that people are realizing that there's a what they call an intersectionality of some of these issues that there are people of color women um you know other groups that have not felt particularly heard or included in the story uh, of who we are as 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 churches who we are as united Methodists, and, and i think there's a lot of awareness um and i am encouraged by that um it's not a it's a great thing it's a great thing that awareness is increased it can be painful for many of us who aren't used to it who even those who are used to it you know it's painful to say oh i forgot to include so and so but i that gives me a lot of hope is that there's an intersectionality of a lot of um uh, a lot of these themes that's making people think differently. I love that intersection, intersectionality, especially it seems to me from my perspective, at least pushed by a lot of our younger people who are just not having it. They're just not having it. And I, <laughs> appreci- exactly. yeah. I just appreciate that. Mary, how about you? Signs of hope in the midst of all this uh, we're talking about here today. Yeah, I, I would um, echo Albert. There's conversations happening today in the church that weren't happening even, um, and I say church, like meaning the broader church, that I would say um, in many ways weren't even happening five years ago. Um, and 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 it is bigger than simply our um, uh, denominational conflict over the inclusion of LGBTQ persons. It's a really a reckoning with um, our histories of oppression, but but not simply stopping there, but actually saying we want to be a different kind of church. Um, and, and I see that happening across the connection. And that is incredibly encouraging to me, um, just the fact that, um, that we're talking openly and honestly about um, uh, all, all sorts of issues of inclusion and diversity in the church. Um, and, and at the same time, I'm seeing more and more folks in the church who are saying, you know what, we... Uh, we want to 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 be the um, we want to be the the church that that proclaims God's love for all people and sort of just unapologetically claiming that. Um, so that's that's a sign of hope for me as well. Um, as I look around at, at what's happening, I think there's a lot of power in um, in simply acknowledging what is actually happening and then being willing to uh, wrestle with the implications uh, for our kind of everyday. Uh, shared life and ministry as the church. And so I see that. Thank you for that. Jerry, did I ask you about your signs of hope, my friend? Uh, Well, I would suggest the work that I've experienced in this journey with Room for All has been very energizing. It's put me in touch with clergy of all ages, uh, come across such gifted LGBTQ people uh, that those gifts need to be shared. It's been very energizing as we've had conversations just like we had those visioning conversations and just last week I was in a conversation with uh, I believe it's Trinity Church in West Lafayette there is a tremendous amount of energy of those who want an inclusive church and we're not going to stop until we get there Um, we're having a gathering of retirees who are inclusive minded uh, May 19th at St. Luke's uh, from 11 to 1 
and we'll be zooming that for those in other parts of the state. So there is a great amount of interest, especially as we're coming out of COVID and looking forward to getting back together again, that uh, we will pick up this fight that we're involved in to try to make our church what we want it to be. And uh, we will not quit until it's done. Yes. Well, a great part of what is a good thing, I think, is that we're talking about things. Things are no longer kind of uh, in the shadows or in some back room somewhere. We are talking about it and we're dealing with it, the painful things we're dealing with. And we have to, we have to, because we almost have no choice, but we are dealing with things in conversation and commentary, which is certainly our purpose here at the United Methodist People podcast. And I know that some of you will want to learn more about the Room for All Coalition and similar groups around the around the country. And in our show notes, you will have uh, the connections to our guest here today, as well as the website, roomforallin.org, and the Facebook page, facebook.com slash roomforallin. And we'll have connections to our guest today. And we do have a great big thank you to Reverend Mary Dickon from Indianapolis Meridian Street United Methodist Church on the staff there. Mr. Albert Hildago, who is a layperson from the Indianapolis Broadway United Methodist Church and a delegate to Jurisdictional Conference. And uh, Reverend Jerry Reardon, one of the uh, founders of the Room for All Coalition, who's the senior pastor at First United Methodist Church in Noblesville, Indiana. It's been my, been my pleasure to be with you today. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, pastor at Otterbein United Methodist Church in Indianapolis and the host of the United Methodist People podcast. I know this has been an intense discussion today here on the on the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. I want to say a word of appreciation for you to uh, stay tuned into this for this entire conversation. I hope that you will uh, express with me my appreciation to Alberto Hildago, to Reverend Mary Dickin and Reverend Jerry Rarden for expressing themselves in our conversation here uh, here today. Keep in mind that you can find out more about Room for All Coalition by going to roomforallin.org or their Facebook page, facebook.com, Room for All. I in. One of the things I really want you to get as a takeaway from this is that out of chaos can come something constructive. It is true that the matters regarding the inclusion of LGBTQ plus persons is a seminal matter for our United Methodist Church right now. And over the course of the next year or two and 21 and into 22, there's going to be a lot of stress on the church, a lot of chaos and we're looking towards 20, the General Conference in 22 to give us some direction. But every individual Christian, every member of United Methodist Church, every clergy are going to have to find their own uh, response to this. And I believe the response can come out of understanding that out of chaos can come creation. Something new can come. And I hope that you heard a voice, a word of hope in everything that was shared here today, even though the conversations are painful. You know, our whole United Methodist Church evolved from the Wesleyan movement, which evolved out of the Church of England, which is which was a schism, a division right there, that uh, about holiness and about uh, social responsibility. That's our heritage. That's our tradition. And I see us moving forward now in a new way, in some sort of new way, and maybe division is, is, is inevitable, but maybe also creation can be a part of what we are about. In any case, I truly believe that we can hear good news stories from people like uh, Alberto and Mary and, uh, and Jerry. And there's good news stories from all people, including people from all sides of this uh, conversation. We look forward to hearing from people from all sides of this conversation as we move, as we move forward here in the United Methodist People podcast. Our purpose is to strengthen the connection through conversation and commentary, even when there are difficult things to discuss. At our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, you can find lots of back episodes of the podcast that will help you to see great leaders and teachers who are struggling with issues in the church and how we can come out to a better place. We come out of that tradition, don't we, with John and Charles Wesley? And that is where we need to be. take our cue from that to do good all the time. 
So I leave you with the famous quote from John Wesley here today. To do all the good that you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Now, my friend, go indeed and do all the good that you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. And always do all the good you can.